Hey, so if there's one thing that I think that we can all agree on, it's that we all want wisdom. We all want wisdom in our lives. We want wisdom for our friendships. We want wisdom in our relationships, our marriages, our, our families. We want wisdom with, with parenting and, and schooling and our career and making decisions. And we want wisdom to use our resources well, steward the money that we have. We want wisdom for every area of our life because we all want to live life well. But the question for all of us is whose wisdom are we listening to? Whose wisdom are we listening to in life? Because at the risk of of stating the obvious, who or what we listen to for wisdom, it matters. Take, for example, third grade Kyle. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in third grade, a word to describe me uh, would be uh, impressionable. Okay, so here's a story from third grade Kyle. I'm outside with my friends, and uh, we're out in the street, and we're riding bikes. I'd recently conquered a rite of passage for a third grade boy. I'd learned to ride my bike without holding on to the handlebars, which my friends assured me was very cool. However, on this particular day, they said, but there's a way to be even cooler. And I start listening, and I said, do tell. And they said, what if, while not holding on to the handlebars, you closed your eyes? Genius, right? Third grade Kyle's impressionable, wants to be cool. And so that's what third grade Kyle does. And uh, I remember two things from that point of the story. The first is I remember the street, the houses. I remember where everybody was. I remember heading down the road. The next thing, the only other thing that I remember is waking up in a hospital, That's because, shocker, apparently a a mailbox had gotten in the way of me being really, really cool, literally. Because as it turns out, when my eyes were closed and my hands weren't holding on to the handlebars, I veered off the road. I was clotheslined by a four-by-four post wooden mailbox. I backflipped off my bike. I landed in a pool of blood, broken nose, stitches on my face. My poor mom about has a heart attack. Not all wisdom is created equal, is it? See, on the one hand, my mom said, if you want to go ride your bike with your friends, just make sure you put on your helmet. And my friend said, what if you took your helmet off and don't hold on to the handlebars and close your eyes? See, some wisdom is for our good and some wisdom, not so much. Who you listen to for wisdom in life, it really does matter. Here's another example, Uh, Nair, you know, the hair removal product. Maybe you don't know that. I don't know necessarily why you would, but someone, I don't either, someone just sent this illustration to me, and so we're going to roll with it. Uh, It'll make sense. So the the company behind Nair, several years ago, uh, the the messaging, the advertising apparently for for Nair had uh, gone flat and sales uh, weren't doing so hot, and so they pulled the team together and said, we got to do something about this. we got to come up with a new message. And, and so they did. They pulled the team together, and they come up with a new message to market Nair, and it's this. Worship yourself. Love yourself. Know your worth. The world will follow. See, it was, it's wisdom for a new generation of customers of Nair, all built around the thing that our culture increasingly tells us to love the most, which is what? Ourselves, Right? That's the wisdom that we get from our culture. Worship yourself. 
Let's compare and contrast that for a second, though, with the wisdom that we get from Jesus. This is what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. He's talking to his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, follow me, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And so on the one hand, our culture says, worship yourself, and if you do, the world's going to follow. But Jesus comes along and he says, no, deny yourself and follow me. You see, Jesus' wisdom, it's often countercultural. God's wisdom, it, it often goes against the grain of our culture, and yet the Bible's claim is that it's worth listening to. Why? Because it's for our good. The Bible claims that listening to God's wisdom is for our good. See, who or what we listen to, it really does matter. And so to go back to the question that I asked earlier, but to kind of fine point it, who are you listening to for wisdom in life? Who are, who are you listening to for wisdom? And maybe to add to that, a, a second part of the question, what is that doing to you? What is that wisdom doing to you? Because you see, the, the wisdom that we listen to, the wisdom that we follow, it, it shapes how we think. It shapes what we love. It shapes how we live. And that's why Proverbs, we, we, we started a series on, in, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs last week. That's why the book of Proverbs, it's so concerned with us getting God's wisdom. You see, because more than anything else, what the book of Proverbs does is it teaches us that if we want to live well in this world, if we want to thrive and flourish and have the good life, then we're going to have to look for and listen to God's wisdom over our culture's wisdom. Or to say it differently, to get the life that God wants for you, which is really the life that you're looking for, whether you know it or not, to get the life that God wants for you, you've got to get his wisdom. So this morning, we're going to be at the end of Proverbs chapter 1. This is what it says, picking up in verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square on top of the wall. She cries out at the city gate. She makes her speech. So one of the things that Proverbs does is it sometimes it personifies wisdom just to help make the point. And, and here, uh, wisdom is calling out. You can see in the public square, on top of the wall, at the city gate. Now, at the time this was written, these were just the more prominent places of the city. And so what we, what we see right out of the gate is that God isn't interested in hiding his wisdom from us. See, God's not trying to play hide and seek. No, God's wisdom, it calls out to us in the open. It calls out to us in the ordinary places, the prominent places that we live our lives. It calls out to us in our jobs. It calls out to us in, in our homes. It calls out to us in our schools. It calls out to us in our downtowns, in our restaurants, and, and where we play. God's wisdom calls out to us wherever we live our life. It calls out to us amidst the, the busyness. It calls out amidst the noise. It calls out amidst the familiarity of it all. And it's saying, listen up. Listen to me. But here's a question. If God's wisdom is calling out to us so obviously in the ordinary, why is it often so hard for us to hear God's wisdom in our lives? I think for a variety of reasons, right? Right? If we're honest, some of us struggle to hear God's wisdom in our life because we're 
bored with God. Maybe we've lost the thrill of, of following God. We're too busy now chasing whatever is shiny, whatever entertains me in, in the culture. I think some of us are probably not hearing the voice of God in our lives because we're too busy. I'm a parent with young kids. I get like we're running from thing to thing to thing to thing, and we never stop. We never slow. We're never still. We're never quiet. And so, of course, we don't hear the voice of God's wisdom in our lives. I think others of us, we're, we're not listening to God because we're too busy chasing comfort, our own comfort. After all, it's easier or it seems better to worship myself than it does to deny myself like Jesus says. And some of us, though, I think that if we're honest, the reason that we don't hear God's wisdom in our lives is because we aren't sure that it's worth listening to. Reminds me of a conversation I had with a college freshman not too long ago. Uh, we were talking about a lot of things, and it was a pretty honest conversation, which I appreciated. But one of the things that I remember most is this, this thing that he said. He said, I wasn't going to drink last night, but then I decided that beer was worth it over God. I wasn't going to drink last night, but then I decided that, that beer was worth it over God. Now, this is a guy that had grown up in church. He'd grown up around Jesus, had Christian friends, was told about all the temptations that would come with coming to college, and, and he was aware of all that, and that's what he said to me. I decided that beer was worth it over God. And it wasn't just one night. It ended up being a semester. It ended up being a year, and that kind of set the trajectory of college. Now, I'm not bringing this quote up because I want to make a specific point about alcohol, although alcohol certainly can be something that, that we choose over God. But if we pull that word beer out and we leave a blank here, we can fill it in with all sorts of things, right? I decided that my reputation was worth it over God. I decided that, that my kids' sports teams were worth it over God. I decided that my career in career advancement, chasing the ladder, I, I decided that that was worth it. I decided that, that a certain relationship worth it over God. I decided that growing my bank account, I decided that seeking self-satisfaction. See, we could go on and on and on. But the point is this, that we, we won't hear the wisdom of God in our lives if we're too busy listening to the wisdom of a culture that says you do you. We're not going to hear the wisdom of God in our lives if we're too busy listening to the wisdom of our culture that says, you do you. See, I know that that culture's wisdom, it sounds really good to ourselves. But here's the thing about God's wisdom. God's wisdom comes from the one who created ourselves. That is to say that God made us and knows what's best for us, which is why he wants us to have his wisdom and so the rest of our time this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the end of chapter one, and we're going to see three things in particular. We're going to see wisdom's plea, we're going to see wisdom's precaution, and we're going to see wisdom's promise, okay? So let's pick up Proverbs 1, This is wisdom's plea. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways, wisdom says? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Now, let me tell you something that, that tends to happen in my own life when I read verses like this. I read a verse like this, and I instantly start thinking of other people. Yeah, I know who the simple people are. I know who the fools are. Yeah, that, that dude's a mocker for sure. Right? Like, I use a verse like this to, as a lens to see other people, to think about other people, low-key judge other people. But this verse isn't meant to be a lens to see others. It's meant to be a mirror to see ourselves. 
What are the ways in which I'm like the simple? What are the ways in which I'm a mocker? What are the ways in which I can be foolish? And it doesn't want us to just see ourselves. It wants us to actually do something about it, to, to change, to, to grow, to be transformed, which is why the very next verse, it says this. It says, repent at my rebuke, and then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. See, wisdom's plea to us this morning is that we would repent. What does that word mean? It's kind of a churchy word, right? Well, it just means to turn from so that we can turn to. And in this particular case, what it's, ask, what it's saying is turn from following culture's wisdom, listening to culture's wisdom, in order to turn to listening to God's wisdom. Why? Because when we do, when we turn to God's wisdom, he pours out his, his thoughts to us. He makes known to us his teaching. We get God's wisdom. We get God. See, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to turn away from culture and turn to him because he knows what's best for us. But, but here's the question. Is that what we want? God wants you to turn from culture to turn to him, but, but is that what you want? See, it's an important question because according to the Bible, failing to listen to the wisdom of God in our lives, it brings consequences and so the second thing we see this morning, we see wisdom's precaution, picking up in verse 24. But since you refuse to listen when I call, wisdom says, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. Now I want to pause here, because when I read that, I'm, I'm a little bit like, what? D does, that, does that mean what I think it means? I will laugh when disaster strikes you? Here's what I'd say, yes and no. No in the sense that this is not a, a personal heartlessness toward disaster, towards bad things happening in our lives. It's not a delighting in disaster or bad things, but yes, in the sense that the Bible does teach us that there is a kind of absurdity of, of choosing folly over God that is worth laughing about. Because one is for our good and one is not. And so when we choose that which is not, there's some, it's kind of ridiculous. And it draws laughter. And so that's what that means here. But let's continue. Picking up verse 28. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. That is to say, they get what they want. Now, I'll be honest, I, I would have loved to skip these verses. Would have loved to skip them. They're intense, right? I mean, the warning is, it's strong language, but it's in the Bible, and so we gotta deal with it. And so the question becomes, why is it here? Well, I think it's here because the Bible wants to wake us up to the reality that the danger of ignoring God's wisdom in our lives is real. That there is a real danger that comes when we ignore God's wisdom in our lives. So when I was a kid, uh, my parents took my family uh, to see the Grand Canyon. Uh, well, actually, I think they took us to Arizona to see a Chiefs game, but we took a day trip to the Grand Canyon. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, so, so I remember as a kid, 
Of course, the Grand Canyon's unbelievable, right? Uh, if you've seen it or have seen pictures, although pictures don't come close to doing it justice. But I'm standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon as a little kid, just looking out over the vastness, over the beauty, over, you know, just awesome. And, and of course, I remember that. But one of the other things that I remember are, are the warning signs kind of everywhere. Uh, signs like these that say, warning, falls from cliffs on this trail have resulted in death. Right, And so what is this sign's purpose? Exactly what it says. If you get too close to the edge of the rim of the Grand Canyon, it's possible, quite possible, actually, that you will fall. And if you fall, you will get hurt and probably die. See, these signs, they alerted us to the, the, my family to the danger that, that lied ahead if we got too close to the edge. I think that's exactly what these verses in, in Proverbs do for us this morning. They're, they function as a sign they warn us about the edge. They, they warn us that, that if, if we forego God's wisdom in our lives, there's real danger. When we ignore the sign, we put ourselves in trouble. But here's the other thing as I was thinking about warning signs. What's the, what's the main purpose of a warning sign? It's not just to scare us. Well, the main purpose of the warning sign is to help us live. It wants to preserve our life. It wants to help us thrive. It wants to help us flourish. And so in the same way, these verses actually point us to how to live. And so the third thing we see is wisdom's promise, picking up in verse 32. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But here's the promise Wisdom says, whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. See, God doesn't take pleasure in our peril. God actually knows what's best for us. And that's why he warns us. He gives us a warning because he wants us to live. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to flourish. I know that the wisdom of our culture, it sounds like the good life, but it's not. It's not the kind of wisdom that leads to flourishing. It's not the kind of wisdom that leads to thriving. It's not even the kind of wisdom that spares us from danger. No, it's the kind of wisdom that says, take off your helmet, let go of the handlebars, close your eyes, and ride down the road. It doesn't go well for very long, does it? God says that if we want to live well, if we want to thrive, if we want to flourish, then we need his wisdom. Okay, how do we get it? Well, let's jump to the New Testament book of James, picking up in verse five of chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, I find it fascinating. God says to us, he says, look, if you want wisdom, just ask. He's not playing games. He says, just ask. But, but the thing about getting God's wisdom, if we want God's wisdom, then we've got to get to know God. If you want God's wisdom in your life, then you have to get to know God. How do we do that? The best way that I know to get to know God is by spending time with him in his word. And that's what we believe the Bible is around here, that when we open the Bible, we have God's word. It's God's very word. The Bible says, yeah, written down by human beings, carried along by the spirit over time. There's some mystery to that, but that's what we have. And so just to get super practical for a second, if you want God's wisdom in your life, if you want the life that you're looking for, whether you know it or not, make reading his word a daily habit in your life. 
Make reading his word a daily habit. And, and here's the thing about habits. Habits don't happen quickly, do they? Habits can sometimes be hard. Relationships, they take time to, to, to develop and, and to grow. And the same thing is true with God. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. It, it's going to take some work. Hearing God's wisdom in, in our lives over all the voices shouting at us, it's going to take diligence and intentionality. Here's what one pastor says. He says, it's unlikely that we will deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be a need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization in our lives. But there is nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper, clearer perception of God's presence in the routine of daily living. See what he says? He says, it's going to be hard. It's going to, if this isn't a part of your natural rhythm, it's going to be hard. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some, some reprioritization, reorganization of your schedule, of your time. But you hear what he says? He says, it's worth it. It's worth it. Nothing will enrich your life more than making a habit of reading God's word every day. And so maybe, maybe that's what you want. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm tracking with you. I don't know how to do that. Or maybe if you're like me, summer kind of becomes this time where we kind of get out of our habits and rhythms, doesn't it? We're in new places, we're doing new things, we're just kind of, we kind of get out of, at least my schedule just gets out of whack. And so maybe this is the spirit nudging you this morning to say, hey, it's time to get back into God's word on a daily basis. And so whether you're new to this or, or old to it, how do we do it? I'm going to get really practical again. I'm just going to let you know what I've been doing lately. There are lots of different ways to study the Bible. It's one of the great things about living in the 21st century. But one of the things that I've been doing over the last several weeks, one of the easier Bible study methods that there is, it's called the SOAP Bible Reading Method. SOAP just comes from the first letter of four words, Scripture, Observe, Apply, Pray. And so what this has looked like for me, I'm just going to tell you what I've been doing, just so you know. Maybe it's helpful, maybe it's not, but... Um, I've just, for the scripture portion, there are 31 chapters in Proverbs, roughly 31 days in every month, and so I've been lining up the day of the month with the chapter in Proverbs, and that's my passage for the day. July 9th, so I'm in Proverbs 9 later. And so I'll, I'll spend some time reading it. I'll spend some time listening to it sometimes, walking around my neighborhood, reading it over, sometimes just once, sometimes a couple times. And then, and then I'll, as I'm doing it, I'm making observations. What's interesting? What questions do I have? Where do I want to go and ask someone about what does this mean? And after that, I, I move to application. How, how does this apply to my life? How does this, what does this have to do with my life and the people around me? And then lastly, which is sometimes the hardest part for me, if I'm honest, is, is praying, asking God. I can't do this on my own. I can't make these changes on my own. I need you, God. Please make this be true in my life. Now, that's just what I do. You, you don't, certainly, you don't have to do Proverbs. You don't have to do one chapter. You could do any book of the Bible, any amount of verses you want. The point is not uh, how much you do. It's that we do it because if we want God's wisdom, we've got to get to know God. If we want to hear God's wisdom in our life. We've got to spend time with him. But it's not just hearing, it's doing. So we hear God's wisdom, we listen to it so that we can build our lives on him. Jesus agrees. This is what he says the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Maybe some of you remember back in 2008 when uh, Hurricane Ike smashed into uh, Texas, in particular Galveston. And um, if you don't remember, it was a horrific storm, as these hurricanes tend to be. Uh, Billions of dollars worth of damage. Uh, Many people lost their lives. Many more lost their livelihood. And and I remember, I I said it was 2008, it was my first year on staff here, and and I remember looking at pictures, and, and you see, you know, you see pictures like that, and it's just devastating. But there was a picture that, that I saw that has stuck with me all these years later, and frankly, I don't think I'll ever forget it. It's, it's this picture. Maybe you've seen it before. Maybe you haven't, but this is not a Photoshopped house. This is a real house, and as it turns out, it's the only house. This is a peninsula there in Galveston. It's the only house out of about 200. I mean, you could see, as far as you can see, it's just completely wiped out, except this one house managed to survive the storm. And if you read about that house, there, there are all sorts of interviews out on the internet, the, the, the owners, the builder. What you find out is, how did this house survive? Well, they said it survived because it was built differently. He said it, was, it survived because it had a better foundation than all the other houses around it. You see, I think that's exactly what God is saying to us this morning. That if we want to survive the storms of life, and some of you are in a storm right now, aren't you? And it's hard. Some of us, were about ready to head into a storm. If we want to survive the storms of life, but even more, if we want to thrive and and, and flourish and, and, and have the life that God wants for us, then we're going to need a better foundation. We're going to need a better foundation than the foundation that our culture offers us. We're going to need a better foundation than a foundation that we can kind of come up with ourselves. Jesus says that's all sand. We need the foundation, the better foundation of God's wisdom found in Jesus. You see, all of Proverbs, it does one thing. It points us to Jesus because Jesus is the source of wisdom. Jesus is the way to life. Jesus is the way to flourishing. Wisdom, it's not about following advice. It's not about following a philosophy. It's about following a person, and his name is Jesus. And so let's be a people listening to his wisdom so that we can build our lives on him.